Welcome back to the RMD podcast from Reverse Mortgage Daily, hosted by me, RMD editor Chris Clow. In this show, we speak with reverse mortgage business leaders, professionals, government officials, and thought leaders to provide listeners with the pulse of the reverse mortgage industry and all of the business and regulatory realities which affect it. In this episode, I'm joined by Lori McNaughton, a reverse mortgage loan originator from Atlantic Coast Mortgage in the Washington, D.C. area, to discuss all of the changes she has observed among borrowers and the broader reverse mortgage industry since the onset of the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. McNaughton is a very active participant in the business, often aiming to find new ways to appeal to borrowers while keeping up with the changing dynamics of the American senior population to lead a very dynamic reverse mortgage business. We discuss how the business has changed in recent years, and she shares a few specific trends she has noticed by combing over her records to share anecdotes she finds interesting or potentially useful to her reverse mortgage industry peers. Before we get into the discussion, however, here's a word from this episode's sponsor, the National Reverse Mortgage Lenders Association. For 25 years, the National Reverse Mortgage Lenders Association has provided a critical voice for the reverse mortgage industry in Washington, D.C. and across the country in state and local governments. To ensure the reverse mortgage program is meeting the needs of America's aging population and providing the retirement security they need and deserve. NERMLA could not do what it does without members like Lori McNaughton, whose subject matter expertise and experiences out in the field dealing directly with reverse mortgage borrowers have helped guide NERMLA's efforts and in many cases have helped improve the efficiency of the Home Equity Conversion Mortgage Program. In addition to advocacy efforts, NERMLA provides exceptional venues for professionals from across the reverse mortgage ecosystem to come together to network, learn, and share ideas. Join NERMLA live in Irvine, California on May 23rd and 24th for NERMLA's Western Regional Meeting. After two years of virtual meetings, NERMLA's team can't wait to catch up with you in person while offering best-in-class educational content. The event provides a venue for you to meet with your vendors and network with your friends and colleagues. It will be a great time to sharpen your sales skills and get updated on important issues and trends within the reverse mortgage industry. To register or get more information, visit www.nrmlaonline.org. And now I'm very pleased to be joined by Lori McNaughton. Lori, thank you so much for taking the time to be a part of this today. I really appreciate it. Great being with you, Chris. Oh, thank you so much. Well, um, since you've never yet appeared on the RMD podcast, I was wondering if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and where you operate and and maybe a little bit too about how you got into the reverse mortgage business. Sure, sure. Uh, Let's see here. I actually grew up out West. My dad was an aerospace engineer and we did what back then was called the West Coast two-step. I came back East to go to school. Actually, I, I went overseas for a couple of years to study overseas came back, went to college, and I've been on the East Coast ever since. And um, I'm in the greater Washington, D.C. area now. I haven't been in lending my entire life. I actually started off many years ago as a high school chemistry teacher. And as I like to say, at some point, I got sick of my students' parents. (laughs) (laughs) This is the beginning of the kind of the hover parent or the helicopter parent era. And at some point I just had enough. I left. I became a technical writer for a law firm. And, and for a few years, I was a technical editor. 
um, for nonprofits and so forth. I worked for a freelance editing company back then. And uh, I was working at the law firm and the year must have been 2007, I guess. And I got a call just out of the blue, from my perspective, out of the blue. And the, the guy on the phone said, hey, uh, we've been given your name. We'd like you to come in and interview for a position as a reverse mortgage specialist. And I knew nothing. I knew nothing about reverse mortgages. And so I turned the guy down. It's like, oh, thanks, no thanks. But um, he, one thing he said that captured my attention was, this is a way to enable our aging homeowners to live in their home with independence and dignity. And that really struck a very deep chord with me because I had grown up sharing my bedroom with my advanced elderly grandmother and uh, who was unwell, but every single day of my life until she passed, I would hear her say, when are you taking me home? And this is a question everyone who's ever lived with an aging relative has heard a thousand times. When are you taking me home? And as a tiny little person, um, I would just say, well, grandmother, this is your home. You live with us. And then it wasn't until I turned teenager that I realized she was saying, no, this is where I live, but this is not my home. And so fast forward all these many, many decades later, the guy on the phone is saying it's a way to keep our aging in their own home with independence and dignity. I was just struck so deeply. So anyway, after I got off the phone with this guy, I jumped right into the congressional record. I had LexisNexis and Westlaw available to me because I was working for a law firm. And so I just jumped right in and started. And also I was working on a master's degree in legal research. So I spent hours and hours and hours and hours reading everything I could find in the historical record on reverse mortgages. And a few days later, I called them back and I said, you know, I think I would like to come in and have that interview. I would like to talk to you about reverse mortgages. So that was my very odd entry into reverse mortgages. <laughs> no, sure. Well, I, I think it's uh, what you describe strikes a chord with a lot of our listeners, certainly, uh, particularly on the origination side, because so many people in this business are very concerned about what the living situations of older people are like. And it's largely because of, uh, of an acquaintance they knew. So I think that story uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, so did you start originating then in 2007 or was that a little bit later? I think I first was onboarded in 2008. And um, then of course the world went to hell in a handbasket. I was at Wells Fargo at the time. And the first many loans I did were uh, refinancing people who were in truly dire straits. They had been in these Wachovia pick-a-pay loans and they had hit their balloon and these people were losing their homes. They couldn't afford to keep them with the new payment, the adjusted payment. So those were, um, Ooh, boy, I'll tell you, that was, a, that was a tough way to cut your teeth because I knew nothing. I knew nothing, less than nothing about lending, um, but it didn't keep me from writing loans. <laughs> sure. yeah. And it also showed me the miracle, the absolute miracle power of a reverse mortgage. Of course, we didn't have financial assessment back then. So it was basically age and equity. You had age and equity, you could do a reverse mortgage. So um, I did plenty of those, plenty of those this first couple of years. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I mean, you, like you said, you, you cut your teeth on something that was uh, a pretty massive occurrence in terms of the financial crisis. But uh, now you've been in the business long enough, too, that you have weathered yet another storm that uh, the nation and certainly the world has been going through uh, in terms of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. So today we're going to be talking a bit about pandemic era reverse mortgage origination. Um, just in terms of the history of this show, back when the scope of the pandemic was starting to come into fuller view, we had other finance experts like Wade Fow of the American College of Financial Services on this show to talk about some potential usefulness that a reverse mortgage might have for seniors, particularly in those early and very uncertain days of the pandemic. But now that we're a couple of years removed from that rampant uncertainty, it seems as though we've entered a new phase of the reverse mortgage business. And you are certainly a visible performer in the business. So Lori, when you first think about how the reverse mortgage business has changed I mean, it's always changing, but particularly over the past two years since the pandemic began. And before we get into your uh, your specific business observations, what just comes to mind about how the business has changed uh, over the past two years? Well, I've been struck by the adaptability of my clients. I deal with, historically, I've dealt with a much older, much more infirm demographic. Many of my loans come to me through attorneys. I do a lot of attorney work. And as I like to say, nobody wanders into an attorney's office because they're having a good day. For many of my clients, many things have gone very wrong for a very long time, and then they've sought counsel. And a reverse mortgage is part of a larger either legal fix or financial slash legal fix for these homeowners. And um, it was not at all apparent in the early days of the pandemic that these people were going to be able to use DocuSign applications. They were going to understand Zoom. They were going to be able to download the link. And um, I have always been. Uh, well, one, one of my bosses said to me many years ago, you are the most determined wor- woman I've ever met. <laughs> and so stubborn, determined. Um, I've been kind of shameless in roping in next door neighbors, community bankers, um, faith organizations who will make house calls and help moms set up a Zoom link. And these people were, uh, her, they accomplished heroics, absolute heroics in some cases, a younger neighbor didn't even know the older homeowner next door. And, um, you know, a Google search shows me who lives on the street. I'd call somebody up and say, you know, I'm asking you for the outrageous. Would you be comfortable meeting your neighbor next door and helping her set up Zoom? And um, local bank branches who had no customer relationship with somebody, I'd ask them if they could please drop documents off on her front door, you know? So all over my entire area, I roped in, strangers, quasi strangers. Um, And to see my, especially my oldest homeowners really pick up Zoom and pick up DocuSign, just priceless, absolutely priceless to behold. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, um, no, that's that's really fascinating. And uh, it's also kind of heartening to hear too that uh, you know, these, these neighbors and, and other people close to these potential clients are willing to help uh, maybe these older family members or neighbors or acquaintances to, to get up to speed with things. But what you describe is certainly something that I've heard in talking to people from across the country and that these seniors are more adaptable than people generally give them credit for. 
and uh, they're able to, to roll with the punches, particularly when it comes to the need to embrace new technologies. So, uh, so what you describe sounds, uh, sounds right on the money in terms of a lot of what I've heard. But um, you also described for me uh, in, in preparation for this discussion about how you and your assistant decided to comb through your business records over the past couple of years to identify some ways that your loans have played out. And you told me that you found three things that really stood out to you about uh, pandemic era origination. So let's, let's just jump into it. What's the first thing that you noticed? Sure. Well, one of the biggest trends were purchases. My team has always done a fair few purchases, either new construction uh, or existing construction, but purchases were way, way up. And I split those purchases into two separate groups. One are aging couples who had been considering moving into a CCRC, Continuing Care Retirement Community. And for a while, they're just unending nightmares occurring in some of these communities. They decided, mm, boy, we're rethinking this and decided instead to sell or rather to buy. And um, I had client after client who um, fell into that exact pattern, who fit that pattern. I think a trend is, you know, trends are so nuanced and usually take place over many years after lots and lots of data set crunching. So I hesitate to use the word trend, but I'm going to use the word pattern. And certainly there was a strong pattern. And part of the way I identify it as a pattern is these people self-identified as buying a single family home as opposed to buying into a CCRC. But the other group, so conceivably that group, once we got into the pandemic, um, that group you might have um, identified early on. It's like, okay, I can understand you're not moving into that. The group of purchasers that absolutely floored me were the CCRC residents buying homes to transition out of continuing care into a private residence. And many of these people were uh, older, much more infirm, and um, Medicaid played significantly into these scenarios. And um, most of the time, I'm going to say probably at least 75% of the time, the down payment funds were gifted by an adult child. Um, because by the time somebody had gotten into the CCRC, they had done their complete spend down and Medicaid, of course, is very, you know, income and asset sensitive. So an adult child was putting up the money to get mom out of the CCRC and into her own home. First time I I saw it, I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? What an interesting thing to do. Next time, it's like two back to back. What do you think of that? And then after number five and number seven, it's like, oh my gosh, this is an honest goodness pattern. And that that I think we could almost call a trend um, for these people during the the really the darkest of the pandemic years, wanting to get mom or you know dad sometimes out of continuing care into a private residency. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I mean. I know from talking to, to other people across the country, too, that purchases are still a relatively small share of overall reverse mortgage business. If you had to guess uh, how much uh, purchase business is taking up your, your full pipeline. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I would say the last couple of years, probably 25%. Really? Wow. So quite, quite a significant number. I had one month where the only closings I had 
were purchases. Yeah, that's fascinating. You're certainly well above the national average of around five to six percent. So, uh, so, but you know, it, it's funny whenever RMD posts a story about reverse mortgages for purchase. Uh, and I mean, inevitably, we have to talk about how much it's penetrated into the national market and mm-hmm. it's still in single digits. I invariably get emails and occasionally phone calls from originators who say, don't talk down to, to purchases because this is my bread and butter and it's it's the, the way of the future for the reverse mortgage industry. And guys, I'm not talking down on purchases. <laughs> All I'm doing is pointing out that it hasn't been uh, taken up uh, rampantly on a national scale. And it's very asymmetric where it's been taken up. I find that the um, usually as a matter, well, I, I'm just going to quote a realtor. He did reverse for, he brought reverse for purchase after reverse for purchase after reverse for purchase to me. And I said, um, how are you doing this? You know, it's like, what are you telling your clients? He goes, oh, well, I sell the mortgage before we even go out looking for homes. And he had just seen the power of doubling the homeowners, the home buyers purchasing power. And uh, I spend a lot of time with real estate professionals and the ones who are most successful in bringing reverse for purchase business have a very similar approach. So, um, you know, I teach the teacher who's going to then be teaching the customer. Mm -hmm. But even that said, it is not evenly distributed in all areas. I find there are pockets and usually quite frankly, my purchase clients are better read, better traveled, better educated, better healed. Um, and these are the people who are much more open to reverse for purchase. Many of them are working with wealth managers. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, one of the, um, the common refrains that I've heard from people in the reverse industry all the way up to the executive level is that, uh, well, realtors need to get on or licensed real estate agents, I should say, need to get on board with the fact that this is a longer origination process. And it seems like a lot of real estate agents might be reticent to accept an FHA loan, particularly an FHA loan like a Heckam, if you're not going on the proprietary side. But what have you noticed in terms of just the mechanics of working with realtors on purchases? Mm-hmm. Do these originations tend to take longer? Does that make it difficult to compete with potentially other home buyers? Because I can't imagine that Virginia is a cool housing market in the (laughs) Washington DC area. How does that play into like the competitive aspect of trying to get a home for these people? Sure. Here are a couple things I do. First of all, I've written up a letter of introduction, one to the listing agent and one to my buyer's agent. And I send these letters, congratulations on getting to know, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, But then I also reach out when my client comes to me, when my home buyer comes to me, I get full information on their realtor. And then I reach out to that real estate professional and make sure they are a hundred percent comfortable with the product. They know how it's going to roll. I have a step-by-step business, you know, it's like, here's, here are your marching orders. Here are your, here's your job. Here's my job. And just assume they know nothing. Um, so I send them a little letter of introduction. I give them steps involved. And then I reach out to them and talk to them on the phone. I do the exact same thing for the listing agent because it's a, it's got to be a handshake. That listing agent and the buyer's agent have to be on the same note before this is going to be ratified. The other thing is I'm not quite sure what other people are doing that makes it take so long. I have heard people say, oh my gosh, purchases take so long. 21 days. We averaged 21 days. My quickest ever was eight days from ratifying 
the loan disclosures to getting the keys eight days. So we are pretty, pretty quick. We do bend every effort to get them into that house on or before the scheduled date. Um, now I do front load the process. I have people start gathering all their documents. The very first second they call me, they're thinking about buying. Here's what we need. Get everything, get it over to me. Some of these are going to be, um, expired by the time we need them. So we're going to need you to get refreshed bank statements. I need you to get to the bank, have them sign the bottom of this bank statement. So anyway, we know how this rolls. We know all the steps involved. Uh, if things are dragging, um, you got to look at your process, I think a little bit more closely and say, what could I front load on this to get it, to get it to closing on time. Um, now the oldest and the sickest clients. So these people who are moving out of CCRCs into private residences, all experience is out the window with them because you have to have a safe discharge plan put in place in order to be a, have a compliant safe discharge. So a lot of steps have to be set up for that. You know, you have, to, anyway, I, I won't go into that. That's a different discussion. No, really. Look, but I mean, this, we could probably do an entire episode just on, on a safe topic. discharge, people moving out of CCRC. Yeah. So the thing I would say, if you are interested or if you have a client um, where the adult kids have said, mom's in a CCRC, we want to get her into a private home, make sure you do due diligence in knowing what all is involved in that for it to be federally compliant. So it, that, those are very tricky. Those are not 21-day closes, I'll tell you. Um, in some cases, those are not even 45-day closes. Very, yeah. very tricky, very technical, and you need to know the laws surrounding that. Well, I would love to pursue this line of questioning with you further because it's a fascinating topic to me personally as well. But um, we should probably move along because yeah. we've got two, yeah, other, yeah. two other observations to get to. But thank you very much for that overview. I think, uh, I think your peers in the industry will find that, find that fascinating. But what is the, the second trend that you've noticed beyond purchases? Well, the second thing I, I already mentioned that I tend to see a lot of people, many of my clients, even most of my clients come to me through attorneys. But one big trend was the hyper-qualified buyer or homeowner even, not just a buyer, but these are people who had many options. Every option available was open to them. They could have bought in cash. They could have bought you know, with a qualified mortgage, anything. They could have done anything. And yet they did their homework. By the time they got to me, they were intimately acquainted with the process even, not just with the product, but with the process. And many of those people said, you know, can I come in today and sign a loan application? And they did. They did. They did. Many of these people moved forward post haste. Um, those people, I didn't have to explain how DocuSign worked. Um, so that caught me off guard too, that now, you know, younger cohort is reverse mortgage eligible. These people have grown up with computers and they are just hot shots. And a lot of them also have very good counsel, either through their financial advisor or through legal counsel. So that was a big shift. And, um, some of these people are more demanding, but not a majority of them. I would say they were charming and delightful to work with and very organized for the most part. That's interesting. I mean, one of the other more common topics, of course, that you're very familiar with is just that the industry is highly focused on proliferating as many uh, educational materials as possible to overcome a lot of the misconceptions mm -hmm. and misperceptions that people have about reverse what do you think it is that is showing these people 
that reverse is something that is viable in, in their situation and what's getting them over the hump of those, uh, <laughs> those common misconceptions. Well, I'll tell you a funny thing. I have a whole bunch of little YouTube videos. So to call them teaching videos is um, a, a pretty gross overstatement because they're two and three minute long cartoons featuring little Pillsbury Doughboy type characters. <laughs> These are not in depth. They're cartoons. Um, I sound a little bit like Mickey Mouse on the background, but they, I have had a steady stream of clients. I have two right now in the pipeline just for this month who came to me through my cartoon videos. And um, so, and I don't do any kind of data collection from my website. And a lot of people said I was having a really hard time finding teaching information where I didn't get a call from somebody while I was still on the website reading. So at reverselady.com, I have, a, it's just blog format, but I have a bunch of education materials. And when people are looking for an attorney for mom, or they're looking for an attorney for themselves, I've got the complete list of Virginia attorneys on my website. Um, so that's how a lot of my clients find me. I, as I say, I don't do data skimming. And so they're relieved to just be able to read stuff without getting dunned by incoming calls. And then I think there's a lot more just positive word of mouth as more and more people have good outcomes. Uh, when people talk to people, it's not just the, oh yeah, if these are so great, I know a lady, you know, that kind of, I, I call it the, I know a lady comment. <laughs> and um, so it's hard to say, it's hard to, I would say, extrapolate from my experience to the experience of others. But uh, my online presence has been a big source of, of people finding me and, and then they also have questions after they've read my material. It's like I saw you address this. What about that? Sure. So you're you're ready to be that uh, that consultative presence uh, from beginning to end. Well, yes, Chris. And also, so I teach um, one hour, two hour, and three hour continuing education classes for real estate professionals. And then I also teach continuing legal education. But getting out and teaching professionals. I think is so important because if you're professional, if you're counsel, bad mouse reverse mortgage, it's almost an insuperable obstacle to get that home buyer or home owner back on board. Certainly. Yeah. I think that that's very understandable. Um, in terms of the, let's say rehabilitation of the image of the reverse mortgage, obviously over the past uh, four or five years, the, the product has gone through a lot of changes, some of which were kind of painful for the industry to absorb, but now we're seeing rather high levels of volume nationally. Do you think that some of those product changes like the uh, collateral risk assessment and the lowering of the PLFs, all the stuff that happened in late 2017 helped contribute to, uh, to potentially a better perception that consumers have about the product? Or do you think it comes from somewhere else? Well, it's funny you say that. So I've heard a lot of loan officers pitch that, oh, it's a completely different product. It's a new reverse mortgage. I feel that's a little misleading. And I never lead off with that, nor rarely do I have anybody say, I understand there've been a lot of changes. It does happen occasionally. I don't pitch that at all. I just pitch, you know, tell me about your circumstances. Let's see how, and even if a reverse mortgage fits into your long-term financial goals. So I don't really address changes to the program. It's fundamentally the same tool. Has it been tweaked and refined? Absolutely. But I personally, I mean, I can't emphasize that enough. I personally don't see that really having 
um, much of a bearing on the homeowner. Sure. Yeah. And it's totally valid perspective. And I think it's probably generally beneficial for people to be just focused on the person directly in front of them so that you can give them uh, personalized advice and, and perspective on whether or not this is something they should move forward with. Yeah, uh, I also have another funny objection to pitching, you know, new, new, brand new, under new management. Um, and that is anybody who has an older reverse mortgage then feels like, oh my gosh, I have one of the dogs. I've had my reverse mortgage since 2006. This was one of the evil reverse mortgages. And that is unfair to those people. So, um, and all of these things, I mean, I could give you anecdote after anecdote of people who've called up. I'm worried about my mom. She has an older reverse mortgage. Wasn't this one of the bad ones? So I, I just kind of philosophically have a problem with saying the new thing is shiny and better. The old thing was a dog. Sure. Yeah. And I think that that's uh, a very understandable perspective. This is another line of questioning that I could probably pursue for several more minutes, but we have one more thing to talk about yeah. that that you picked out. So what, uh, what is the final observation that you wanted to point out? Well, if the other two were smiley face trends or patterns, this one was a sad face pattern. And it was what I dubbed the forbearance to foreclosure pipeline. And I was at an economic summit a couple of weeks ago, and they had said that there was, you know, a lot of forecasting that all these forbearances were going to lead to foreclosure, but it didn't pan out. But boy, I'll tell you, I sure saw a lot of forbearance to foreclosure pipeline. That's just the name I gave it. Um, and here's how it rolled. Here's how it played out in my experience. Um, mom and dad were mortgaged through a community bank. The banker, their long-term buddy called them up and said, hey, you can put your mortgage into forbearance. And they did. They did. Mom and dad put their home and their mortgage into forbearance. And then during COVID, dad dies. Now they come out of mom comes out of forbearance, her mortgage payments bigger than ever. And she's got half the income and uh, boy, those were some very distressing, very distressing scenarios. Some of them, we were able to refinance several more. We, I, I, I tend to draw in a lot of attorneys because I feel like the most expensive thing you'll ever do is not pay an attorney. So uh, we drew in a lot of attorney input on these, but in many cases, it the only way to keep the house or to keep the equity was to sell the house and downsize. And for many of these people, they had already been planning to downsize, but it was going to be mom and dad downsizing. Now dad's gone. Mom sells the you know $2.3 million home, pays off the huge mortgage, and then downsizes in a, a whatever $600,000 condo. And um, for a while, I was just doing loan after loan after loan where mom was getting ready to lose that house if she didn't sell it and downsize. There wasn't equity enough to refinance it. So she had to sell and then purchase. So, you know, it's just so traumatic. The world was tra traumatized by this dire pandemic. Mom is traumatized because she's just lost her husband of 68 years. Now in the middle of a pandemic, mom's trying to house hunt and get packed and um, but those were really, I, I tend to keep very close tabs on my post-closing clients. And um, many of these home buyers are, have fared very well in the last year or year and a half since coming through just a very, very choppy season in their life. Sure. That brings up a, a question that I don't often ask a lot of originators, but I think more people should, frankly, and that is, 
you describe how these kinds of situations, not only are they horrific, but they're really distressing. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you keep your head when you have to deal with these situations that are uh, very disconcerting, but they also are relying on you to mm-hmm. potentially help them get out of those situations? What What's your... Uh, your mechanism for handling that? A good question. What a good question. So I, um, <laughs> I spend a lot of time walking in the woods a lot. I live on the Rappahannock river and um, I usually go out walking between midnight and about two in the morning. <laughs> and because I get home very late, many nights, but um, um, I just have to have a way of, of finding my, finding my center again. So there are many times I'll wake up in the night, just nearly weeping for these clients. And really the only way I have of just finding that peace and and recentering is to be outside looking for, I'm real big into Virginia native wildflowers. So I poke around and look for wildflowers. And anyhow, it's how I, it's how I just find a place of peace. Um, And there are many times where I'll put in 10 or 15,000 steps after midnight. <laughs> yeah. But well, I think if you don't have a happy place, if you don't find a place of peace, um, you'll go nuts. It's just too stressful. Yeah. I mean, it, it does seem like, um, I don't know how many people really talk too much about the, the pressure that people who work in the business and who are so dialed into their, uh, their client situations have to also deal with it. I mean, obviously the client's going through something worse, but at the same time too, being exposed to these kinds of scenarios, it's, I'm sure very rewarding if you can help them get out of it. But at the same time too, uh, the situations can certainly be dire and uh, it would probably benefit any reverse mortgage professional to also keep their own mind in, in, uh, in perspective about contacting these kinds of things. This is definitely a different topic. Um, but it is related. I have said ever since I've been in this business, if this job is just a job, you need another job. There's something very missional about being in the reverse mortgage space, even more so than the forward mortgage space, which in and of itself is kind of a calling, especially if you get the very sick or the very cranky or the emotionally disturbed client, which all of us have, um, you just have to see this as, as, kind of being a pain bearer, almost stepping into this person's life and carrying them through a, you know, this, this season. And then uh, one of the hardest things is after you've really embedded them, um, embedded yourself in this traumatic season, being able to let them go so they can go back to whatever kind of support structure they had afterward, because for some of them, uh, they didn't have kids or they don't have involved kids. And so then they continue to call you for every little thing. It's like, oh, my car needs new tires. Can you call the tire? It's like, nope, <laughs> no, I can't. But here's the, you know, whatever the Loudoun County Senior Resource Council, call them, you know, and plug them back into whatever kind of support. But it's, um, you do absolutely, in my opinion, absorb some of that pain and have to learn how to carry it and then let it go. You, and you're right. I hear very little discussion about this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, I don't think your advice will go amiss. Um, and, it, you know, even if it's not as widely talked about as maybe it should be, I'm sure that it's at the forefront of a lot of professionals minds. So uh, your perspective is 
very much appreciated. But Lori, we are well out of time. You have given me a lot of your time and I really appreciate you doing so. Um, where can people, if people were interested, let's say in reviewing the educational materials that you make available to clients, you said that your online presence is a, is a big component of, Mm -hmm. uh, connecting with people. Where can, uh, other reverse mortgage professionals find those materials and potentially engage with you further about the business? Sure. Sure. So if you go to reverselady.com, you can get to my website, um, also just Google Lori McNaughton, my YouTube videos come up and articles until the little paper shut down. I wrote for a newspaper. I had a, I had a column called us of aging and, um, I wrote that for years and some of those are online and that's, those are probably the, the biggest ways people get hold of me. Excellent. Great. Well, Lori, thanks again for being a part of this episode of the RMD podcast. I really thanks. appreciate you coming on. Great. Great. Good seeing you, Chris. Thanks for yeah. having me. Likewise. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the RMD Podcast. Again, I want to extend a very big thank you to Lori McNaughton for being so generous with her time in talking about the ample amount of change undergone by the reverse mortgage industry. And also, I want to provide a very special thank you to the National Reverse Mortgage Lenders Association for sponsoring this episode. RMD will be in attendance at the upcoming Nirmala Western Regional Meeting in May, and we hope to see you there. For more news and insights on the reverse mortgage industry, be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at reversemortgagedaily.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to the RMD podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast content. I'm Chris Clow, and this has been a production of HW Media. The RMD podcast is produced by Elissa Branch. Be sure to come back for an all-new episode very soon. See you next time.